This morning we're going to continue with the book of Colossians and we're, we're in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. And uh, we're, we're, get, we're going to get through a, f- a few verses here. Um, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we are going to look at uh, kind of an overview first of uh, chapter 2 and we're going to um, get some some information from them, uh, from, uh, what, uh, God's teaching here. And, uh, but before we do that, let's go ahead and pray and then we will, uh, get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that we've had this morning, Lord, to please you and to honor you, uh, to listen to your word, to hear your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that, uh, our hearts would be very soft and tender to it. That, Lord, we would uh, understand the the warnings that are here, understand the principles that are here. And again, Lord, I just thank you for preserving this for us and teaching us this. And I, Lord, again, I just pray you'd be with me and speak through me this morning that all of this would be honoring and pleasing unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when we take a look here at uh, what's going on in this passage in in chapter 2, of Colossians, we, we, we see here, uh, starting with verse one, it says, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and un, uh, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the father uh, and of Christ, in whom are, <coughs> excuse me, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So very interesting, right out of the gate, again, he's, he's going back to that, uh, the, the, the preeminent idea with, with Christ. He keeps going back to that, and we're going to see that as a trend, as a theme of what we, we, we see going on throughout this book. Uh, it, it, again, it's all pointing back to Christ. And, and we see that, you know, that's one of the main works of the Holy Spirit is he is to point to Christ and to speak of Christ in the word of God and to use that to teach us and to guide us and direct us. And why this is why we find it very important for us as believers to really grasp this concept about the preeminence of Christ in everything. Uh, because if, if Christ is not preeminent, we're going to wind up getting into ourselves into some trouble. And, and, and there's four warnings in this chapter. And, and the, the first two warnings, uh, are, if you will, are about false teaching and hearing the voices of man or something that is contrary to scripture. And the other two is what happens if we do listen there becomes this allowance in, in the life of others to directly control us and manipulate us. And Paul is warning this church saying, you, you have to be careful of these things. You have to watch out for these things. And every believer in that circumspect walk has to be able to do that. They have to watch out for false teachings. They have to watch out for false doctrines. They have to watch out for those things that are going to take them away from from Christ, if you will, as the preeminent one. And put something else in there. And again, if we listen to something other than God in our life, then the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, is what Christ teaches us, the, the, the word of the Father, if you will, if we ignore that and listen to something else, we begin to set up a hierarchy where that person, that man, that doctrine, that teaching, whatever, almost kind of begins to take place of Christ in that preeminent role. It becomes something that people will listen to more. I've seen this happen time and time and time again with believers. They will start listening to something else other than the Bible. And the next thing you know is you wind up seeing some very crazy things. I'll just say this. Uh, um, you know, th- th- there's been a, a lot of questions and, and debates. Uh, and Chris, you posted something on my timeline about that um, the other day 
um, uh, about what's going on over there at that uh, Bible college in um, K- um, Kentucky, I think, is it? Yeah, something like that. Um, and a lot of people have been asking questions about that. Well, uh, so, you know, I, I started looking into it. I started looking at uh, some of the things that are going on there. Started listening to some of the people's testimonies. Uh, some of them were really scary. Some of them were not of God. There's one testimony, the guy just said, uh, him and his friends, they came and they were just so excited that they just began to fill themselves with laughter and couldn't stop laughing throughout the whole thing. Goes into that holy laughter stuff that they say is uh, part of that, uh, part of that Pentecostal movement, uh, being uncontrolled, uh, um, in, in the flesh. Look, the, the, the Holy Spirit's not going to produce an uncontrolled, uh, uh, res- fleshly response, okay? That's not the way that he works. He's not going to produce something where, where, where you're writhing on the floor, uh, rolling around or get into an uncontrollable gyration and uncontrollable laughter, uncontrollable screaming or anything of that nature. That's another spirit that John says you got to watch out for. You, you you have to try the spirits. Some of that was going on. Uh, some of it was also led to some, if you will, emotionalism, which is, again, tied to Pentecostalism. But there was one thing that was very, very, very prominently not, not shown there. I listened to the message that the guy taught that, that, if you will, kind of prompted it. Simple, good message about the love of God. I mean, there was nothing really wrong with it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, very simple. I mean, he was, uh, a very low key speaker, um, wasn't, you know, uh, yelling and screaming and, and trying, if you will, to, to get the conviction of the Holy Spirit through, um, you know, his charismatic demeanor. Uh, so he just let the Holy Spirit do, do, do the work. And, and I think it did. And I, I'm not going to say that people there are, or did not experience or have not experienced, uh, something that is drawing them nearer to the Lord. But I will say this, there's got to be a caution. In order to call it a revival, you have to see the fruit of it. In order for it to be labeled as revival, you have to see the end fruit of the, pro- you know, what's going on there. If there is no fruit produced, it was not a revival. It was an emotional response. Happens all the time. People come forward, they get convicted in a message. Uh, whether it's in their seat or whether they come, you know, kneel at the steps in a form of an altar, whatever it may be, uh, something of that nature, it becomes a flash in the pan and it's uh, there one minute and gone the next. And as soon as they're out the door and they're thinking about lunch and they're thinking about what they're going to do uh, tomorrow for work and so on and so forth, uh, that uh, that thought is gone. Was that revival? No. So so there there has to be some caution with it. And again, it all comes down to what people are listening to. And throughout it, one thing that it was very apparent, and, and uh, uh, that article mentioned it, and I've seen it with other people mentioning it, and I've looked and watched a lot of it. And one thing that's absent with all of that revival that's going on, the Word of God. Just a lot of singing. Where's the Word of God? Because we believe the Word of God's preeminent, right? We believe that that's what what causes the change. Because what what does what does the Bible talk about? What does Jesus Christ say? That Word of God, which is the seed that's planted in the heart, that's what produces the growth. That's what produces the fruit. That's what produces these things. Going about singing and doing things of that nature isn't necessarily going to produce the same type of result. So we have to be very careful. It's part of this circumspect walk. And we find that, that, that Paul talks about this. And in verse 4, he, he mentions here in Colossians chapter 2, I want you to see the first warning that he talks about. And we're going to go through each one of these warnings individually. But I, I want to walk through these, these warnings. And in verse 4, he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Beguile you with enticing words. 
This is a warning about listening to individuals that can influence you with what you want to hear. With what you want to hear. I mean, we're, we're, we're enticed with stuff. We're enticed uh, uh, frequently. But there are certain things that are not going to entice us. I'll give you an example. You're not going to entice me with a green bean casserole. <laughs> You're just not. Now, if you say, hey, I've got a giant bowl of jelly beans with your name on it, I might be going, hmm, that's enticing, right? Something of that nature. We are enticed by what we prefer. This is why we have to be very careful with our preferences. Because sometimes our preferences are just that. They're preferences. They're not doctrine. They're not doctrine. There's a big difference between what is doctrine, what is opinion, what is somebody's conviction, what is somebody's belief, and what is somebody's preference. And sometimes people try to get all three of those, or all, all of, not all three, but all of those mixed together and try to say that all of them are of God. And that's not necessarily the case. Preferences and opinions many times are just that. They're just things of man. They're things of man. So we have to be very careful. So the first thing he starts telling them to watch out for is he says, the enticing words that are going to beguile you, that are going to cause you to move away from God, that are going to cause you to err in the way. So, so, so there's the first warning that we find in chapter two, verse four. In chapter two, verse eight, he mentions the next one. And he says, beware lest any man spoil you. Now we're talking about beguiling. Now he's talking about spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now we're back to Christ being preeminent. If something else puts its position where Christ should be, we are not after Christ. And many times it is exactly that. It's tradition of men. It's, it's, it's the, uh, the rudiments of the world. And we'll get into more detail as we get to that verse in, in a bit. But what we find there is we find that there's a spoiling that occurs. There's a spoiling that occurs. Uh, you take microbiology and it changes your life. Um, you start, you know, we, we had the whole section where we were talking about uh, foodborne pathogens. Oh, that, that, that'll, that, that'll make you look at that chicken a little bit more closely next time. That, that'll, that'll, that'll cause you to, get, to kind of get a weary eye about how people are preparing their food and stuff. When you're over there and you see the guy, he's, he's over there and he's preparing your salad, he's tossing your salad, and you notice he's doing it with gloves and you're like, oh, 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 praise God, he's doing it with gloves. And then he does like that and then continues preparing it. Don't eat it. You'll be spewing chunks for who knows how long. Uh, it, it, that, that causes projectile vomiting because of a transient bacteri- bacteria that lives in the nose. I've said this before when I was in, uh, in, in microbiology and they were, they were doing the, uh, uh, the testing and we all had to do nasal swabs to just kind of see some stuff and, uh, and we did that and then we were testing for that transient bacteria and we did it, put it on our little plates and stuff and, and it changes the, the, the auger plate from a red color to looks like a bright fluorescent, like highlighter yellow color. And she's going through all the auger plates after, you know, the, the couple of days. And she's like, okay, this one, uh, there's something growing on it, but it's obviously not what we were looking for. And, and she's like, oh, here's a perfect example of what that looks like. Holds it up and everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. And we're all sitting there like, hey, hey, who's, whose plate is that? And we all go up to collect our plates. And I look down at that plate and it's got my name on it. I come back, I sit down, my lab partner's just kind of like... Scoot over a little bit. <laughs> Transient bacteria, right? It spoils it. That spoils the fun real quick. 
spoilage. You don't eat, you don't eat meat that's gone rancid. You ever open up something that's been stuffed in the back of your fridge and you're like, when did I eat that last? And you open it up and it's just like, I mean, it's a sucker punch to the face. You know, that, that's what happens when, when we allow something that is, as he says here, uh, philosophy and vain deceit. When we listen to deceitful words, these are the things that are going to happen to us. So he starts giving a warning about that. So let's take a look at the third warning. And this is now in, in verse 16 here. And he says specifically, let no man Therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or in or the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now, now again, he, he, he starts talking about what we allow. When he says, let no man, we're talking about the allowance. And here's probably one of the most important things that you, that, that, that any believer can ever understand. And, and whether we're talking in a counseling situation or just as just general knowledge, never allow another person to control you. That's unbiblical. That's unbiblical. Now, I'm not talking about submission, subjection. I'm not talking about that, okay? I am talking about direct control. And this is an allowance. Don't let that happen. Don't allow it. Don't give them that opportunity. So here he is. He's saying, let no man specifically judge you in certain areas of your Christian life. Because there are certain people that just say, you know what? I'm not going to eat the things that they were, you know, not allowed to eat in the uh, Old Testament. I just, I, I just don't want to eat it. I don't want to eat bottom feeders. I don't want to eat things that are scavengers and things of that nature. I'm, I'm happy to just eat my grass-fed beef and, and things like that. Because if you ever see what a pig eats, it might make bacon a little less appetizing. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it might. But I will tell you this, there are people that raise pigs the right way and don't feed them junk and things of that nature. Yeah. <laughs> there's a running joke. If you ever want to hide a body, you throw it in the pig pen. And there's a reason why. Because they'll eat it. They'll eat themselves. You're like, wait a second. That's what you're putting in your body? Some people say, I don't want to do that. Okay, fine. There are some people that will say, I don't want to put anything that has has sugar in my body. Okay, fine, go ahead. But don't preach it as gospel. Don't get up there and start preaching. Did you know that sugar and Satan have the same number of letters and they start with the same letter and things like that? That sugar is, is, is the tool of the devil and it's meant to harm you and to control your kids and things like that? No, that's just called bad parenting. <laughs> letting your kid get, you know, hyped up on sugar. And, you know, here he is eating, you know, he's on his 16th Snickers bar and it's midnight and you're wondering why the kid's running around screaming his head off, crawling on the ceiling and you're having to try to get him down with a broom and he's not coming off. Yeah, that's probably your fault. <laughs> Teach the kid some self-control. Teach the kid about what gluttony is. Teach the kid about bringing his flesh into submission. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that you could teach that kid, right? So, so again, we, we, we understand these things. And he's talking about whether it's food, whether it's drink, uh, whether it's talking about holy days or new moon. There are some people that, the, uh, or, or Sabbath days. And, and there are some people that, that, that won't celebrate certain holidays. They won't celebrate Christmas. Because they think it's pagan, and they think it's the roots are pagan, and things like that. Look, I've done a lot of deep dives on that, and I've time every single time I resurface on that, the conclusion is always the same. The pagans took what Christians were using, not the other way around. And just because they happen to have a, something in the same time frame. The pagans celebrated anything and everything. I mean, if it moved, if it breathed, 
If it fell on a one day or another day, it was a celebration. You know, we still do that today. Don't we have a national day for everything? Isn't there a national pizza day? We just had that one. National donut day, national bacon day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> national jelly bean day. I mean, there's a day for everything, right? You go and look at the national days and you start seeing them overlap and stuff like that. And you're like, when are all these going to become federal holidays so I can take the day off? You'd never work. Because there is a day for everything, right? And some people celebrate certain things and some people don't. And that's their prerogative. But don't go around using it to control and manipulate another person. We get to the next part here where he talks about in verse 18, this fourth warning. He says, let no man beguile you of your reward. Here's another issue of beguiling. We're going back to that subject matter uh, of your reward in uh, in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding the head from which the, uh, all the joints or all the body by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together, increasing uh, and increases with the increase of God. You know what he's talking about here? Don't start worshiping something that is not God. Don't let somebody beguile you into that. Whether it's an angel or anything of that nature. And some people, some people will actually do that. They're like, well, I prayed to my angel. Don't. Don't. If it's an angel and it's truly an angel from God, it won't accept it. He'll flat out say, no. How many times do you see that in scripture? No. They'll say, stand up. It won't allow that. But in certain situations where it was God, such as Joshua and the captain of the host, and that was Jesus Christ, Joshua knelt down and the captain of the host, the Lord, accepted it. So it's very clear there. There are times where that angel will say, nope, don't do it, don't do it. You shouldn't pray to angels. They can't answer your prayer. They're not God. And furthermore, I really sincerely doubt, and this is, you know, if my, if you will, my opinion, I don't think they can even hear you. Unless they're really close. Because they're, they're not God. They can't hear the thoughts of the heart. They can't hear what's going on inside there. They don't have the Holy Spirit interceding for you. That, that, that's, that's not the case. And again, a real true angel of God will not accept it. It will not accept it. You, you, there should be no none of that. And you know what that is? That, that's where, it, it, again, it, it takes away from God. Because you've now selected something else in, in, in light of God, or, or, excuse me, in lieu of God, as a priority in your life. It's no longer that Christ is the head. And you know what that is? That's a pride mentality. He talks about, you know, your reward in a voluntary humility. We should voluntarily be humble. We should voluntarily do that. There's a reward associated with that. You ever, you ever notice that? There's a reward associated with your humility. Somebody that is constantly lifted up in pride, they're going to get to heaven and they're going to find that a lot of the stuff that they did for God is going to go up like a tinderbox. It's going to go up like the 4th of July. Oh, wow, that one was pretty spectacular. Look at that. I'm sorry, where's the substance behind it? People spend this thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on fireworks here in the United States of America every year. Thousands of dollars just to blow a, you know things up. Now look, I've done that. I've done that. I've taken the M80s and M100s and thrown them up under a bucket to see how far I can launch the bucket into the sky until the bucket decides it's going to lose its structural integrity and then it blows out the side. And, and I've done stupid stuff like that, okay? But I will tell you this. I did it on somebody else's dime because they were bought the fireworks. <laughs> but, you know, and again, if somebody wants to go and, and, and light fireworks, fine, that's fine. You know, hey, 
But again, it's literally burning the money. And we think about this for a moment. That's generally what happens when we, when we inject something else other than doing it for Christ voluntarily with humility. But when we set up something else in the stead, such as, 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 as worshiping an angel, uh, which we have, look, and he mentions this here, and I'm not going to get, you know, I, I don't want to get too much stuck on each one of these warnings yet. But he, he mentions it. We have no business intruding into that area. You want that veil between us and the spirit world opened up? Some people have seen that. Whether it's through the use of drugs or alcohol or incantations or meditations in a, if you will, a demonic, devilish type way. They've opened doors and once those doors are open, I dare say they're really difficult to close. You can't, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. You see stuff that you've never seen before in your life and it'll scare you. It'll terrify you. So you know what? I'm happy keeping that veil shut. I don't want to see it. I have no need to see it. I'll just simply go with what the Lord tells me in scripture and that will be sufficient. I have no business intruding and sneaking around and looking to see what I can find. Because you'll find something, all right. And I guarantee you, it won't be of God. It'll be terrifying. It'll be terrifying. I mean, think about this for a minute. Could you imagine how terrifying it would be to have a cherubim with a flaming sword? Did you try to go towards the garden? And it's saying, no, that'd be a terrifying sight. Could you imagine what Balaam saw? Can you imagine what the prophet's uh, servant saw when his eyes were opened and he saw all those chariots? Can you imagine that for just a moment? How terrifying that might be. But what we find here is he says, we, you know, people will lift themselves up in pride. And he says, don't let another man do this to you. And that's the key thing is don't let somebody else do it to you. Because again, it goes back to the enticing words. So let's take a look at the first part of the chapter and let's kind of get into some more detail here. And we'll address these first three verses we're here, he is talking about, you know, establishing Christ's position as the preeminent one. He continues with these, these warnings, the practical warnings. And in verse one, he starts talking about his desire. And, and, and I'll tell you this, this is what the preeminent position of Christ produces in a person's life. Not trying to get all bunch of peas in there, but that's the way it worked out. Okay. <laughs> Not alliterating here, but it says for in verse one, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And as for as many have not seen me in the flesh. Now this isn't because he was coming because he wanted the preeminence. He wanted fellowship with believers. Paul didn't care what church it was with. He didn't even establish these some of these churches that he he's talking about here. They were established because of the work of the ministry, because of what Christ was doing and the, and the moving of of the Holy Spirit and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about I, I want to go see these believers. Why? Because he wants to see these young believers. He wants to see these individuals as they're growing and, and he wants to teach them and he wants to have them to help them learn so that they begin to uh, grow in Christ. And you find that throughout all of Paul's epistles that he has this desire for them to grow. Because if you go back to chapter one where he says that this is why he prays, uh, prays for them in verse 9 and his desire for them as he outlines in verses 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way through there, he begins to say, this is my desire. And what is that desire? I want to see you grow. 
The very basic nature for every Christian believer should be this. If Christ is preeminent, we should have a desire to see another Christian grow. We should never have a desire to try to put another Christian down. This lines up again with what we talk about over there in Ephesians 4. Turn to Ephesians 4. Got to reference Ephesians 4 because Ephesians 4 is good. It's Romans 12 kind of good. That's how good it is. <laughs> and, and he says in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, this is what we're supposed to be doing to help, if you will, uh, you know, to, to come alongside endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What do you do? It says, but speaking the truth in love, in verse 15, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You want somebody to grow up in Christ. Look, that doesn't give you license to go out to believers now and look at them and say, grow up. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about speaking the truth in love. We're supposed to, in verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Truth in love and good to the use of edifying, ministering grace. That is what our speech is supposed to be. And, and, and you know what the best way to do that is? Communicate the principles and the doctrines of the Word of God. That's what it boils down to. Now somebody's going to say, well, well, you got to be careful with doctrine because doctrine is divisive. No. You know what's divisive? Pride is divisive. Pride is part of that stuff that sows discord among the brethren that we see over there in, in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6. You know, you know what happens with that stuff is that when somebody takes a doctrine that is outside the word of God and then uses it to separate believers, there's something very dangerous about that. Very dangerous. Because if we are all one, as he says in Ephesians chapter six or Ephesians chapter four, we're all one in Christ, one body. Then why in the world would you want to divide it into anything else? And you know what that does? It causes people to leave. This church has had people leave because they refused to listen to the principles of the doctrines of God. And they listened to a doctrine of man. Everything from Calvinism to uh, all sorts of other crazy stuff. The end result is, is we wind up seeing that, 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 that those doctrines divided them. It pulled them away from other believers. And what do they begin to want to do? They want to go tell other people about this new doctrine that they have so that they can pull believers under themselves away from someone else. Oh, isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? What did God say about that? Jesus Christ said that you make the person worse than you were before. Make them worse than than what they were beforehand. That's what false doctrines do. That's what false doctrines do. There has to be a, a, a very, 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 very careful approach to that. This is why doctrine is important. You cannot ignore doctrine. To ignore doctrine is to ignore the principles of Christ. Because, you know what we're talking about right now, about these warnings and about putting Christ as preeminent? That's doctrine. That's doctrine. You know what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is? Doctrine. You know what Ephesians chapter 4 is? When we take a look at verse 15 and in verse 29, uh, all the way through verse 32, you know what that is? That's doctrine. You're like, well, no, that's practical living. No, it's doctrine. That's what God calls it. Listen, why don't we just use what God calls it? Why do we have to go start and putting labels on something that it got, it just, it, that doesn't even make sense. But it's called doctrine. So here he is, you know, he, he, he has this desire and, and, and he wants to communicate this to him. He's, he's, if you will, this, this kind of transparency. He's saying uh, he, his heart is heavy because he can't go see them. He can't be in person to see them. There's, there's circumstances in his life that are keeping him from that. And I will tell you this, that should be the desire 
for every believer. That should be the desire to say, hey, I, I really miss seeing you. I, I want to have a connection with you. There's a great principle about physically being present with someone to speak to them and to encourage them. And we find that in verse two. There's, there's a principle behind it. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25? He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? As the manner of such is. We, we, we as believers need to understand that, that some people are just not going to want to be involved in that. They're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be content just, uh, uh, just, you know, watching online because, you know, it's more convenient for me. Well, if you're snowed in and you're up to your eyeballs in snow and it's, you can't even get out of your driveway, you can't even get out your front door. Yeah. You probably should be careful about that one, you know? If you're sick and you, you've got some sort of infectious disease, please don't spread it in the church and share. We don't, we, we particularly don't care for that. <clears throat> you know, you, you want to make sure you're, you're preferring one another, right? So, so again, probably best to, to, to stay home. And that's what those, that's what those tools are. But when those tools are misused and that becomes what people call church, you know what the danger is? You isolate yourself and you, 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 you become, I dare I say, almost a cancer. I've seen it happen. I've seen it where people have become so angry and so bitter at their mistreatment. They isolate themselves and all they do is they do what they call their home church and they sit down and they listen to a video or listen to a, a cassette tape. This is using, you know, dating myself on that. If you don't know what a, you, most of us here know what a cassette tape is. Nobody here. We all know what a cassette tape is, right? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. You know, you mentioned cassette tape to a young person. You get that look of like, oh, what? Before your phone. I'm like, what was before a phone? Was that rock and, you know, chisel or? You know, something of that nature. Pigeon, carrier pigeon. Is that how you guys used to communicate? Yeah, okay. But, you know, you're sitting at home listening to a cassette tape. You know what that produces? That just that just feeds the bitterness. To the point of where they don't want to be around anybody anymore. They don't want any fellowship. They don't want any of that. And it becomes a danger. So that when they do try to integrate themselves, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very careful, cautious situation. It takes a matter of full repentance in that to get to that point. But what we see here is we see that, that, that he's saying, this is my desire. I, I, I want to see you face to face. I want to see you in the flesh. You know, talking to somebody over the phone and via text... Okay, yeah, they're tools, all right? But that should should not make up for the fact of, hey, I want to see you. I want to see you in church. I want to I want to, I want to be able to, to 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 see who you are and have that human interaction. There's so much there's so much uh, richness in that. When you're communicating and you see somebody's countenance respond to what you're telling them. When 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 you're when you're you're sitting there and you're you're communicating the joy that is that you have. It's really hard to communicate that sometimes over the phone. Where if you do it in person, you know what happens? It becomes infectious. Because as you begin communicating that joy, and your face lights up, and you get that smile, and you get excited about it, and the other person they might be having a day that just you know from you know where, and and then all of a sudden you come in with that, and they're just sitting there and they listen, and they start getting excited for you. They respond in kind because that's what their spirit was craving, and there's an encouragement, and there's an edification, and there's a growth that's involved. All of those things, that, that, that should be something that is part of, of, of what makes a Christian believer unique. You know, the world thinks they've got that type of stuff. Just because they wear the colors of their team 
And they think, oh, hey, we're all alike, right? No. No. I mean, I'll just give you a, a real brief, you know, example of something. You've got one team that moved from, uh, where were they? Were, were the Raiders in Oakland? I know nothing about NFL, okay? Other than a few of the teams. They were in, in Oakland and they moved from Oakland or Anaheim or wherever they were. I don't remember. And then they moved over to Las Vegas, right? How many people did they lose? None. None? Oh yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> they are crazy because again, if you're if you're looking to get stabbed, it's always at a Raiders game. But <laughs> but you know, but again, you, you you look at that. People are loyal to those things, but then all of a sudden something happens and they're no longer loyal. One person, you know, they're, they're Democrat their whole life and then something occurs and now they go over to the Republican party and then somebody's Republican their whole life and all of a sudden something happens and what do they do? They swap over, swap over to the, the, uh, the, uh, Democratic party and things of that nature. And both sides kind of look at, you know, look at that person and go, ah, what, what's going on here? But, but again, you, you, you look at how people approach this idea and this concept of, of being together, the, 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 if you will, the, the bond that unifies us. And the bond that unifies us is the blood of Christ. Nothing's going to take that away. Nothing. So when we look at this here, he's talking about this desire, and this should be the desire there. In verse 2 of, of, of Colossians chapter 2, he says, he says this, for their hearts, excuse me, that their hearts might be comforted. Here, here's why he wants to see them, that their hearts might be comforted. He wants to be there to, to comfort them physically. You know, sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes it's a hand on the shoulder. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's just, you know, sitting there holding a person's hand. Uh, sometimes it's praying with them in person. Sometimes it's just crying with them when, when they need to or rejoicing with them when, when they're rejoicing, as, as Romans talks about. Those type of things, there's a comfort. And it's a comfort. It's hard to do that over the phone. Here we are, one of the most connected societies out there, and these devices separate us more and more. Because this becomes what we rely on instead of using it as a tool to just get in a hold and get in touch with somebody. It's a matter of connecting with that person. Coming together. Physically being, being there. And he says this, he says, being knit together, being knit together in love and all riches of the assurance, full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. You know, here's one of the things that we have to begin to realize. What, what, what knits us together? What brings about this comfort? Well, we know that the comforter is the Holy Spirit, but you realize that that was his title, but God, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I will send you another comforter. Well, who was the first comforter? Him. He was physically present with him, but he wasn't going to be physically present with him the whole time. So that comfort was still going to remain with him, God, being there as the Holy Spirit. That was the purpose. What comforts us and knits us together, the blood, shed blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God. If there is something that is not congruent with the Holy Spirit of God, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. There, there would be conflict. There will be conflict. There's a spirit that's contrary to the Holy Spirit. There will be conflict. But what we find here is he's talking about this and he's saying being knit together in this way. What brings us together, what knits us together is, is love. What does he say over in 1 John? In 1 John, he's talking a lot about love. 
And he talks about love and he says, God is love. Definition of love, God. Okay. And he says, if you can't love God, you can't love brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't love believers. If you say you love God, but you don't love brothers and sisters in Christ, he says the love of God is not in you. Well, that's bold. That's a person that doesn't fully understand God. And this is what he's talking about when he says, uh, the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Well, I mean, here we are looking at who God is and what he's done for us and, 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 the, and the great riches that we have that he continues to bestow upon us every single day as we grow and grow and grow and have fellowship and encouragement and, 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 and see people trust in Christ as their savior, seeing people follow in believers baptism, see uh, individuals coming together and, and if you will, just sometimes just eating together and fellowshipping in such a way. And, and, and we're all there together. There comes an understanding of how great God is. Because all of us here have diverse backgrounds. And I am confident in this opinion, which is my opinion, I'm confident in this opinion, that if it was not because of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the active working of God the Father through those uh, those elements that none of us would want have anything to do with anyone else here. You wouldn't want to know me. You're like, well, I don't know about that. No, look, if I was not saved and I did not have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I was not trying to follow him, you would not want to know me. As a matter of fact, you would be saying, I need to remove myself from that person. As even an unbeliever. And I guarantee you most of us here probably could attest to the same thing. Because if we let the desires and affection of our, our flesh run wild and do what it wanted to do without the constraint of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our life, oh man, we would not be pleasant people to be around. But what brings us here is this love, a love for God, a love for each other. This is what knits us together. There's not only this comfort in love, but also in understanding God's will and his works and what he's done. And specifically, as we talked about, his doctrine. Doctrine should be comforting. The preeminence of Christ should be comforting. It should be. When we look at this here and he starts talking about unto all riches of the, the, the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, he talked about that mystery beforehand. Those things that were kept, kept from people in the Old Testament that were kept from them, they didn't realize what was going to go on. I mean, we see, we see the reaction that they have. You know, over in the book of John, some Greeks come over and, and the disciples are trying to shoo them away. Why? They're Gentiles. And Jesus says, no, I'm come. And there's a reason why that takes place in John. But then, then, then we go over there and we, what do we see? We see some more things that go on, some more things that happen. Where, where all of a sudden Peter's called to go and, and he shows up to Cornelius and he thinks he's going to talk to Cornelius and he shows up and there's like a whole whole, whole group of people there and he's like, wait a second. Uh, I'm preaching to a bunch of Gentiles and he even says, I'm not supposed to be here. Go read what Peter said. And then like right smack dab in the middle of the sermon. All these people, they're like, yeah, we believe Jesus Christ. And they're, 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 they they get saved, and, and then the Holy Spirit falls on them, and, and they're capable of seeing that and noticing that, and, and they just go, wait, what, what, hold on. And they're all just like, all the Jews are just kind of just confused, because that's not the way it worked. By the way, 
we see that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit immediately. Okay? There is something that is tied to something called holiness movement or the Wesleyan holiness movement, which, by the way, is what that church and that Bible college is over there in Kentucky. And what they believe is there's something called a second second blessing, second reign, second grace, or something like that, that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you don't immediately receive the Holy Ghost. You, You have to wait for that experience to happen to you. And when that experience happens to you, you receive the Holy Ghost and you instantaneously become sinless in your life up to the point of erasing all original sin and all sin that you can ever possibly commit. Chapter verse, please. You know what they do? They take a lot of things out of context. And you know what they're they're doing? They're messing around with the doctrines over there in the book of Acts. And they don't understand it. Now, you have forgiveness of sins. You shouldn't continue in sin. You need to make sure that, 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 that you, 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 you don't do the things that God tells you to do. Is it going to be a fight? Is it going to be a struggle? Oh, yeah. Why do you think he calls you a soldier? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But here he says this, all of this, you know, kind of, if you will, saying, hey, the reason we're coming together because of this doctrine, because of all of these, this mystery, because of knowing who he is, all of this, we see that it brings us all together. It unifies us because Christ is preeminent in those doctrines. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But uh, and we'll uh, hopefully get into to verse 3 here a little bit more, um, kind of take a look at some parallel passages over there in Romans and some other stuff. But but again, there, there's important principles that we see with this. But uh, we'll continue. Oh, actually, not next week. I, I, I may not be fully functional next week. <laughs> uh Soon to be continued. Whoa. <laughs> to be continued. But let's go ahead and uh, uh, pray, and we'll be dismissed. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, again, and thank you for the time. Thank you again for your Word, Lord, that teaches us and guides us. Lord, may we strive every single day to make sure you're preeminent in every area of your, our, our lives, and that Lord, we continue to have a desire to to uh, encourage one another, see each other grow, and uh, um, Lord, just teach and. Um, help each other along this uh, this path of life. Thank you again for this time and opportunity that we've had. And I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.